listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, from the New Revised Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have, a gift, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Thanks for that reading, Kathy. So how are we all doing with Romans so far? Are, are we having fun with this book yet? Anyone, anyone like really, really into it? If you're, uh, if you're regular here, you know that we have been working through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans now for months. We started this series during the shutdown right after Easter, if you can remember back that far. And we have kept right on through going with Romans uh, as we've restarted in-person services here at the church. Um, I, I counted this morning, I double-checked. Today is our 23rd Sunday in the book of Romans. So we are coming up on six months in this book, and you guys are doing awesome uh, so far, Romans, as we are all discovering, is a notoriously difficult to, uh, book. It's, it, it's been challenging for me to preach on. I imagine it's been challenging for many of us who are uh, following along, maybe reading this letter for the first time. So one thing we've done through this series to try to make it a bit more palatable, a bit easier to follow, is we have broken Romans into sections, four sections. The idea is to focus on one section at a time and to read it over and over again on your own at home as we're working through it together here in worship. Let's see. Ah, yes. Today we are starting a brand new section, and it's the last one. So, woo, yeah, we got, we got, some, we got some people very happy about that. You can, you can see the finish line off in the distance. There's, a, there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's hopefully not a train. <laughs> just, to, just to do a little Romans recap, though, for anyone who, who's new or hasn't been following along, the first two sections we focus on in this book, um, chapters 1 to 4 and 5 to 8, this is like the theology section. 
The really dense stuff. This is where a lot of churches, a lot of Christians draw a ton of their theology, their doctrine. Much of the first eight chapters is very abstract, um, really hard to follow, but you all made it through, so thumbs up. Then for the last month or so, about the last five weeks, we've been working our way through the third section of Romans, chapters 9 to 11, which is this really strange section, very foreign to us, where Paul is grappling with Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Paul is Jewish, and so he's really wrestling with the rejection of Jesus by his fellow Jews. What could God possibly be doing? What could God possibly be up to with the majority of God's people not following Jesus? That's been the last month. And now the fourth and final section of Romans, which we're starting today, is Romans chapters 12 to 16. You've been following along from home. This is the next section you're going to start reading through uh, over and over again as we're working through it here. We're going to be in this section for about the rest of the fall. And before we dig in, I want to just reread the first two verses of Romans 12. See if you notice anything different from what came before, like a a change in tone or a shift. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, it'll be on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice anything different compared with the previous sections? It's like in English, right? Like it wasn't written in English, this is a translation, like obviously, but like it makes sense all of a sudden. Paul's writing gets a lot more clear and a lot more plain all of a sudden. Hopefully not just for me. That would be really awkward if you're sitting there thinking like, that's not that clear. But like obviously there's some stuff we're going to dig into a lot more here, but Paul makes a lot more sense all of a sudden. He's writing plainly, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I think I get that. I think I know, like, right away the sort of thing he's talking about. Later on in chapter 12, um, we get uh, some stuff like this from Paul. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's good advice. Love one another with mutual affection. That's nice, right? Bless those who persecute you. Do not repay evil for evil. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Paul is talking a lot more plainly all of a sudden, and he sounds a lot like Jesus. See, this section, chapters 12 to 16, this is the practical section. We've gotten through all that heady theological stuff where Paul's like up here. Now we get to the meat, the ethics, the morality. How are we supposed to live? If you've been struggling with the first three sections of this book, if this, uh, the first 11 chapters have been kind of tough for you, this should come as a breath of fresh air. And if you haven't been following along, you haven't been reading through Romans with us yet, this is an excellent place to jump in. So let's get into it. Let's dive in. Romans 12, we'll call it Paul in plain English. Hopefully that makes it feel good. And let's talk about this transition he makes from theology to ethics. This is important. He moves from the abstract to the practical, from how we think to how we live. The transaction here is actually really smooth. If you remember last week, 
The sermon on Romans 11, we ended by talking about the mercies of God. You remember that, those of you who are here? God has handed all over to disobedience so that all can receive mercy. That's a key word, mercy. It flows quite nicely into chapter 12 when Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God. God has shown you mercy, and now by the mercies of God, this is how you respond. Do you see the connection there? It's pretty, it's pretty clean, actually. Here's where I think a lot of churches go wrong when we talk about ethics and morality, practical stuff like that. I don't preach on morality very often. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, if you read back through my sermons, which I maybe don't recommend, but if you, if you like, listen to my past sermons, there is some ethical stuff there for sure. I talk a lot about, about sin and justice. I talk about good and evil. But, like, I don't give a lot of, like, moral instruction. Do this don't do that. I'm not really interested in that. Like, you will never hear me preach a sermon called How to Be a Good Person. (laughs) Yuck. Not into it. Now, to clarify, you should be good people, right? Like, you you should live well. You should be moral. But you don't need me to tell you that. I I respect you all too much to preach a sermon called How to Be a, a Good Person. You're adults, You should know that already. Here's what happens, though. I think in churches there are at least two different tendencies when churches talk about morality. The first is legalism. You find this in a lot of more conservative churches. Uh, There's this legalistic culture where there's very um, specific lines. You're either in or you're out. And so you better do the right thing. You better think the right thing. You better believe the right thing. You better not commit any sins from a certain list of sins somewhere, probably in like the the archives of the church or something, or else you're out, right? That's legalism. And that can be incredibly destructive. You want to talk about spiritual abuse, spiritual trauma, a, a culture where you're either in or out, and if you're out, you are like cut off. A church where you have to guard yourself all the time. You, you can't share aspects of who you are. You can't ask certain questions. You can't read certain books because you don't want to be found out. I don't want these people to know I'm going to hell, right? Like that's, that's what can happen in a legalistic church setting. It's incredibly destructive. By the way, we've got a lot of folks in this church who, are, uh, who have come out of legalistic church backgrounds, So, like, if that's your history, if that's your particular church baggage, you are in very good company here, I would say. So, legalism is one tendency that we find in, let's say, more conservative churches, how they'll handle morality. But there's another pretty problematic way a lot of churches talk about morality, and it's especially prevalent in more progressive churches. No one gets it. Okay, it's all right. But this is where ethics, morality, even being a Christian, being part of a church, all just boils down to being a good person. This is that sort of morality that I have like zero interest in. 
When I was a youth pastor out in California, parents would come up to me all the time and be like, I just want you to make my kids a good person. Teach them morality. Which is usually just code for like keep them off drugs and don't let them get pregnant, right? I mean, that's, that's in youth ministry, that's, that's what they're talking about. And I would always be like, um, that's your job. You're the adult, you're the parent, you know right from wrong, and you're a, a decent person. Model that for your kids. You don't need the church, you don't need me to, to teach you how to be a good person. My job is to point you to Christ. My job is to get people fired up about the gospel, about being part of what God is doing in the world. You don't need me to teach you morality. That's not what church is for. If church was about teaching morality, Christians would be much better people. Just just like a little truth bomb there. But that's not how it works. We don't come here to learn how to be nice, how to be friendly. You don't need religion for that. There's plenty of friendly, nice atheists. The point of the church is to point you to Christ. That's why when Paul makes this shift from theology to ethics, it's not legalism. He's not saying like, okay, we've got the theology ironed out. Here's what you have to do so you don't go to hell. That's not what's going on in Romans 12 to 16. But he's also not giving some vanilla, not particularly Christian, be a good person message. Paul's showing us what it looks like to live in response to the mercy we have received in Christ. Let's say that again. In this section of Romans that we're going to be in for the next couple months, Paul is showing us what it looks like to live in response to the mercy we have received in Christ. In light of all God has done for you, this is how you respond. In a nutshell, that's what makes Christian ethics different. It's what makes it different from like legalism or just a vanilla morality for the sake of being a good person. It's about living in response to what Christ has done for us. You actually see this at the very end of verse 1 where Paul writes, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you've got a good Bible, there should be a little footnote by the word spiritual. And if you look down, I think it's a letter J in my Bible. It says, or reasonable. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your reasonable act of worship. The Greek word he's using there is logikos. It's where we get the word logical. This is your logical act of worship. In light of all the things God has done for us, this is the logical response. That's what Paul's saying. And let's see what he tells us to do. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. If we're following Christ, if we're living out of the logical response of the mercy we have received from God, we are going to see the world differently. It's going to change us. There's going to be identifiable areas in our lives where we have had to shift in response to the gospel. 
Could be destructive patterns and habits we've identified. Changes we've had to make in how we live, how we treat others, how we view the poor, how we budget and steward our resources. There should be some aspect, or maybe even multiple aspects of your life, that you have had change for the gospel. And if there's not, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean that you're like going to hell again. That would be legalism. But it might be a discipleship issue. It might mean that you need to start connecting your faith, which is maybe all up here, with other areas of your life. I have a friend who quit their job, changed careers because of the gospel. This friend of mine didn't like the direction their life was heading. They didn't like the person they were at work. They really didn't like the person they were when they came home. And so they quit their job, found a new career. Pretty drastic shift to save their family, to save their marriage, ultimately to save their soul. They changed careers because their job was making it harder to live like Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. From there, in verse 3, Paul shifts kind of drastically to talk about community. Kind of comes out of nowhere. Check this out, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Paul's talking about transformation. All of a sudden he's talking about community. Why? Because it is in the context of community that we are transformed. Why do we do church? Like, why do we come here on Sundays or connect virtually if you're watching a live stream? Why do we do that? Sing songs, pray, read the Bible, listen to me ramble on for 20 minutes. Why do we do all that stuff? Why do we do things like the gathering table, the teen closet, Bible studies, holiday services, prayer meetings over Zoom? Why do we do church? Traditionally, a lot of folks would point to morality. Church is what you do if you want to be a good person. If you, like, stop your average person on the street and ask them, they think that we are here because it makes us into good people. But we've already talked about that's not it. We do this every week. We engage in community together because community changes us. Being in community with other Christians is how we are transformed. If you're the parent of teenagers or if you've ever parented teenagers in the past, you've seen this in action. When a kid starts hanging out with a different crowd of kids, they become a different person, right? Have we seen that before? Yes. The whole point of being in fellowship with each other, doing what we do here, being part of this community, this body, is to become different people. People who look more and more like Christ. That's what we're doing here. Confession. Don't judge me. I never used to care about immigrants and refugees. 
was not on my radar screen. First like 20, 22 years of my life. Then I moved out to California and I went to church with immigrants and refugees. There were kids in my youth group when I was a youth pastor whose parents were undocumented. They lived under constant fear that their parents were going to be deported. I now care about immigrants and refugees. That church experience changed me. I now understand that we're part of the same family. We might not have the same nationality on paper, but we have a much stronger bond because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things I love about church is how it forces us into community with people we would normally never associate with. I'm 35 years old, and some of my closest friends are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's you guys, by the way. (laughs) But like, seriously, I'm 35. I don't know a lot of 35-year-olds who can say that. I belong to about four different churches in my life. Through that experience, I've befriended elderly people, young people, gay people, straight people, uh, homeless folks, uh, rich folks, divorced, married, drug addicts, alcoholics, black and white, liberals, conservatives, immigrants and refugees, an alarming number of racists. (laughs) And the only thing we all had in common was Christ. Except for maybe the racists. I'm just kidding. They, uh, racists can love Jesus too. But this body, this church, this exists for your transformation into Christ-likeness. That's what the next five chapters of Romans are all about. That's why we're here and why we do this each and every week. And if you're here, if you're like hearing this message or maybe you're watching online and you're not experiencing transformation, you're not growing in your faith, becoming more and more like Jesus, I have some questions to ponder, to just kind of reflect on as we close out our time here. One would be, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you invited him to be the Lord of all that you are? That's an important question. It's one thing to say a prayer, usually on like an emotional high, at like a religious mountaintop experience, to invite Jesus into your heart to be your Savior. That's great, by the way. That is excellent. But have you invited Jesus to be your Lord? Have you invited him to transform and remake every aspect of your life? A lot of Christians never get to that point. We're on board with the whole Savior thing. We want Jesus to save us. The Lordship, though, we're not quite as interested in. But if you want to be transformed, if you like what you see in Jesus, and you want that in yourself, you have to follow Jesus as your Lord. There's no other way around it. That's number one. Second thing to ponder is discipleship. One way I like to think about discipleship is pursuing spiritual maturity by handing more and more of your life over to Christ. By nature, I think we're very compartmentalized. We like to keep different aspects of our lives in different boxes away from each other. And so discipleship is this lifelong process of ripping those boxes open and inviting the mercy of God, inviting Christ inside to transform them. 
could be your job, it could be your marriage, it could be your finances, your politics, maybe even your ethics. It could be how you parent or spend your time. Discipleship is that ongoing, lifelong, logical response to the mercy you have received in Christ. That's discipleship. Third and final question to ponder, if you're not being transformed here at this church, is your involvement in community, your level of buy-in. And if you're streaming this service, maybe from outside the area, from another state, uh, we have a number of folks in that position, um, think of this as your level of involvement, maybe in a religious community a bit closer to home. If you're listening to this message and you're not experiencing transformation, one question to consider is your level of buy-in to this church. And obviously, if you're like brand new here and still checking things out, this doesn't apply to you. Zero pressure. But if you've been around here for a while, you've been coming to this church for a long time, but you haven't really bought in, you haven't committed, you haven't engaged with community, you haven't developed friendships, you're not being challenged or like able to regularly use your gifts, maybe like you're not able to, you don't come to worship that often. If that's you and you're wondering why you're not experiencing transformation, let me encourage you to buy in to this church. Start by committing to to showing up regularly. Just take your level of involvement and dial it up by one. Could be once every week. It could be every other week. You could join a small group or start a small group. Right now we are trying to start virtual small groups and it has been a struggle from lack of interest. If you're not a small group person, you could explore other ways to get involved here at church. We are desperate for volunteers in our children's ministry, in the nursery, with elementary. We've got some youth in this church. We've got some teenagers, slowly growing small community of teenagers, but we don't have a youth group because we don't have the people to run it. And we do a lot of fantastic things at this church, the community. Our outreach team is amazing. Teen closet, gathering table. Most of those things, though, we're only able to do once a month. There are so many opportunities to get involved, to use your gifts, to serve, to connect with others and be transformed at this church. And it could be as simple as starting a new friendship. If you're not experiencing transformation, then get plugged in. Because in Christianity, in our religion, community, being part of the body of Christ, that is how we are transformed. Let's pray. God, transform us. Help us commit not just to trusting you as our Savior, but to following you as our Lord. Open our eyes to those areas of our lives that we are holding back from transformation. And God, don't let us conform to the patterns of this world, but transform us. Work in us. 
knit us together and remake us. Shape this church into a place of transformation, Lord. And may it transform us into a people who look more and more like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.